Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm just going to cover um, through the end of chapter 5 today. I, I think I, as I'm studying it, I bit off more than I could chew. Um, so we're going to do 11 through 14 in chapter 5. And before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of the word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've gathered us in this place. We thank you that you um, speak. We pray that you would help us to hear. We would overcome sinful tendencies, we, that you would overcome our, um, the suppression of your truth in our sin, that you would overcome that by any means possible. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray that it would be to our benefit and to your glory. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Again, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in, I'm going to actually back up and begin reading in verse 7 so that um, we get the context here. Um, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The word of the Lord. So... As we look at this, it's kind of interesting because what we understand through the context of Hebrews is that this is a church that, uh, a, a, a Jewish church of Christians, they've experienced persecution, they've been kicked out of the synagogues, there's severe persecution coming to them, we know historically, um, and also in the book, they're like, you haven't yet resisted to the point of bloodshed, but they will, and so you would think, well, what needs to happen is encouragement. What needs to happen is, you know, build them up. Make sure they know who they are. And they, and they you know, we've got to get this, you know, um, encouragement speech out there. You need that speaker. What do you call those speakers? Those guys that get it? Motivational speakers. Like the man that lived in the van down by the river. You know, you got to get him up there. you got to get him going. Get everybody riled up and moving. And so what the writer of Hebrews does here, he's like, I can't even explain this to you because you've become dull, dull of hearing. And it's like, ooh, we're being persecuted, man. Cut us some slack. Because that's what we do today. You know I mean, we're a victim culture. And in a victim culture, what happens is you must coddle the victim. And you must do everything the victim desires. You must make sure the victim knows that the victim is loved, that the victim is cared for, that the victim um, is good, that the victim is everything. I mean, it's just like you have to do this. But that's not what the writer does here. The writer is like, okay, yeah, you're a victim here, but you know what? Here's the problem. I can't help you because you're, you're babies. 
I preached a sermon similar to this. I was trying to remember what it was, what where I was, but I remember the sermon title being you know, a bunch of babies. And that was somewhere else in the Bible. He's, been, he's calling us, you know, you're a bunch of babies. Quit being a bunch of babies. Grow up. And uh, it's like, eh, it's not the way you parent today. You know, you got to be careful with this kind of thing. You got to make sure you can't, you can't offend the people. And so the, the problem with Christianity, as we're going to see more and more, is it is an offensive message to the lost. Um, don't go out of your way to be offensive. You're going to have enough of an offensive message just by calling people to repent of their sin. And then it's like, well, I mean, who would disagree with that? I, again, we're so divided in this world over things that we all agree on. I mean, so we all agree that bad is bad and good is good. Yeah, now we start defining those things. Eh, you got a little bit of a problem. But to say we should repent of our sin... Yeah, everybody knows you should stop doing bad things and start doing good things. I mean, there are outliers. There are people who are nuts and crazy and evil. And yeah, and, you, and they will make it on TV and they'll be on the videos and they'll be the ones that you'll see. And so you see there, it's like, I know, I know. But for the most part, everybody would agree we should stop doing bad things and we should start doing good things. Now, the problem, if you haven't picked up on it yet, is who gets to decide what is good and what is bad? Because as soon as somebody says, this is what is good and this is what is bad, now you're doing some definitional things and God knows we've got to change the definitions of things. By the way, read 1984 like it was written as commentary for today and it'll make a lot more sense to you. So, you know, you've got to change the meaning of words. Good, bad evil righteous and so what's happening is the world is coming to some agreement about what good and evil is when you see the world coming into agreement it's time to put your radar up it's time to get your spiritual radar up and say are they right or are they wrong and then who are you to decide whether you're right or wrong whether they're right or wrong who are you to decide what is right and what is wrong in the garden, Adam and Eve were told, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you shall surely die. So what was wrong with them eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? First of all, they were told, don't do it. That should have been enough. God defines what's right and what is wrong. Once they decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they become like God in defining for themselves what is good and evil. And once you decide to define for yourself what is good and evil, God help us all. For the heart is what we have to go by, and we would say, no, we have logic. Eh. When it comes to this kind of thing, it's very feeling-based, and even our logic is, is um, informed by our emotions, and the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can figure it out? Who can discern its meaning? So the only way, the only person, the only place that you can go to for the definition of what is right and what is wrong is the Bible. And then we have the problem of who gets to determine what the Bible says and what the Bible means. How do we interpret the Bible? Well, it's not hard to find people who will interpret the Bible because I get the Bible thrown at me all the time by atheistic, non-believing sinners who are paganistic in their worldview and would like to see the destruction of all that is good in the way I look at it, in the way the Bible looks at it. But they will take the Bible and they will use it against you 
over and over and over. And their main mantra is, who are you to judge, O man? Thou shall not judge. Then they'll go to other parts of the Bible which seem to condemn things that they think to be good and say, see, the Bible is bad. So you can't have it both ways. So you need to figure out this day who you're going to serve. The, the, the line between good and evil um, has always been a stark contrast. It's only in our culture and in our hearts that we like to have that blurry, gray, middle, squishy stuff. God doesn't have blurry, gray, squishy stuff. He says the standard is you got to be a little bit better than you are good. you got to have the scales, you know, when, you're, when the weight, you know, you got to be a little bit better than you are good. But, you know, that's not what God says. God says you are to be holy. God says you are to be perfect. And it is appointed to man once to die, and after that you're going to face judgment. And when you stand before a holy God, as Adam and Eve did immediately after sin, sinning, naked and ashamed, who are you going to turn to? If you have not Christ, who has the only covering that we can make for our sins. If you stand in front of a holy God without co being covered and hidden in the holy Christ, it is hell forever. And we either believe that or we don't. But we don't believe it. I don't think. I mean, I don't want to say. again, here's what happens when I preach something and I talk in, in generalities. Somebody's going to come up to me and they're going to complain that I shouldn't be saying that to them because of ABC. And it's like, and then my first reaction is, I wasn't even talking to you. I was talking to somebody else that has a problem with this. You don't have a problem with it. So basically, the people that need to hear it will be glad that other people are listening to it. And the people that kind of have their act together and they're, they're working on this and trying hard, they're going to be so overly convicted by certain things that they just are pushed down by guilt and, and resentment and all these things that it, they, they can't hear it either. So we have become dull of hearing. So I'm thinking, all right, so this is a church here in Hebrews that's going through hardship. Now you would think that hardship and difficulties would hone your faith. You would think that as they're going through these things, I mean, they've been kicked out of the synagogue. You're getting kicked out. You better make sure you're right about what you're saying. Are you sure now this is getting serious? And so this is a serious group of believers, a serious group of Christians who have experienced and withstood persecution, who are now gathered together to hear what does God have to say for us. And what he says is, I can't even tell you because you're dull of hearing. So as I'm thinking, okay, what are we, what's the application for us? I think we have to say, one, are we dull of hearing? And what would cause us to be dull of hearing? Now, as you're thinking about it, um, dull of hearing, that is an interesting little phrase. And so what does it mean to be dull? And so it's, I'm not exactly sure why that word was chosen here other than, I don't know, I guess it makes sense, but the Hebrew word behind it is um, laziness, so that you've actually become lethargic, sluggish, like a slug, you know, just lazy, slow of hearing. Um, it takes to, you have to actively hear these things. You need to be united to the sermon by faith. You need to be united to the word by faith. You need to be united in the sacraments by faith. You have to, you need to dig and, and meditate on, I mean, read David's relationship with the word of God. 
read um, the Bible and see. It's not just for pastors and elders and deacons and people who seem to really be into Christianity stuff. It's for the believer. If you're a Christian, and over and over again, uh, Hebrews just reiterates constantly. I wrote down a few just to have it right here in front of me. It says um, in chapter 1, 2, he has spoken to us by his son. So dull of hearing, laziness of hearing, isn't because he's not talking. Okay, he's speaking. So if we're not getting it, that's our fault, not his. In 2, 1, we must play, pay much closer attention. We don't pay attention. I mean, how many people aren't here today because they're out playing somewhere? Okay? I'm not saying vacations are bad. I hope to have one soon myself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as a way of life. This is the thing that you interject into your life rather than a vacation being occasionally interjected in. It's bad. And we need to be aware of it. You've got to pay much closer attention. And not just those guys, us guys. We must pay much closer attention. And in 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And all through chapter 3 and 4, he reiterates over and over, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So how possibly could your heart be hardened by hearing the word of God? Because you're going to hear things that your heart is going to go, no, that's not right. I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. I disagree with that. I don't think that's right. I can't do that. I know this because that, that, that. and all of a sudden this internal conflict is taking on. It's like, it's just John saying that. You know how he is. You know, yeah, I know how I am. It scares me to stand up and preach in a time such as this when there's so much division and so much anger and so much hatred, and so many people that are so wrong. I mean, one of my thoughts is <laughs> there, are, there seems, in my opinion, to be a very small number of people who seem to be getting what's going on. And then if I'm thinking I'm in that little small group, it makes me wonder maybe I'm not right. You know, it seems like it's safer to believe that there is more wisdom in the group so that the larger the group of people who agree on something, the more likely that is to be true. The smaller the number of people who believe in something, the less likely it is to be true. However, historically, we see over and over again, it's always the little minority that comes up with some kind of idea that the church always gets blamed for smiting. And it tends to be, the if you read your history and know your history, it tends to be the scientific community that squelches truth more so than others. But it is the group of people, whether it be Christian, religious, governmental, or academic, who know what truth is, and then somebody challenges that truth, and then there's hell to pay. I mean, just, you know, the germ theory of disease. What an idiot that guy was. Tiny little animals too small to be seen running around in your blood causing diseases. You know? That's just crazy talk. So... What does the Bible say about what's going on in our world today? Well, you know what? We're dull of hearing. How are we supposed to know? We jump on the world's bandwagons awfully quick. Awfully quick. 
And you got to be careful because we become judge, jury, executioner. And I'm not just talking about those guys. I'm talking about us guys. And the Bible is telling us we've become dull of hearing. By this time, we ought to be teachers. But we still need somebody to teach us, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. We need milk, not solid food. Everybody who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Very interesting, he calls it the word of righteousness. Because there's a couple of senses in which that could be taken. Word of righteousness being the imputed righteousness of Christ. You need to know that. You need to understand what it means that we are not righteous because our, we've become so grand and glorious in our salvation that I just go and do what's right because what I do is right. I am the definition of rightness at this point. It's like, no. He goes on to explain what he means a little bit more by that. Solid foods for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I don't think we're very good at that. I think we're good at some evil things. I, that is bad. We, I will not participate. I will condemn it. And that's that. And there's some evil that's right there in your heart, and you kind of grab it, and you know it's wrong, but you can't get it wrong, and you keep doing it, but that's all right, you can't help it, because you got and just, you're all messed up. And then you don't go to the Word of God in prayer and supplication and in confession of sin, personal confession of sin. That's where it really has to start, personal confession of sin. Then you have the ability to take the big old plank out of your eye and, and go around it and help other people. Help other people to discern what's going on. So you go to a brother and you're like, hey, I tell you what, that thing you're doing right there, that's wrong. And your brother or sister says, I, 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 maybe I think, I think you're the one that's wrong in this. So what do you do? Matthew 18, get a couple other believers to go with you. And then we're two or more gathered in my name. There's love there. So we're able to go to the word of God and discern who's right, who's wrong. All right, let's do this together. Listening to all the voices that God has called and spoken to through his word. Or we become dull of hearing. So how does somebody become dull of hearing? And I love the story of Mary Catherine. That was her name, right? She's, uh, what was her, I always say autism, but that's my catch-all psychological thing. She's Okay, autism's good enough. She was at the breakfast buffet at church. She had already, um, what did I say? Breakfast. I was thinking dessert. I guess I'm, anyway, dessert. The dessert bar. Whole different picture. She was at the dessert bar. She'd already had dessert. She'd already had a lot to eat. She'd already done this. And she knew she went over. Her father was going to say, no, Mary Catherine. So what she did was stick her fingers in her ear so that she could not hear her father tell her no so she could do what she wanted to do. And I just think it's perfect for the Christian. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because I know I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. We're babies. In the fingers her ears went. I think it was the other way around. In her fingers, in her ears, her fingers went. <laughs> so she's there and she's looking. But to pick up the food, she knew enough not to go down there with her mouth, but to pick up the food, what'd you have to do? You had to take your finger out your ear. So she did, Mary Catherine, oh. And she's in a quandary. You know, it's the monkey with the apple in the jar. You know, I can't get my hand out. You got to let it go. Can't let it go. Got to have it. You're stuck. You know, same thing. I don't want to hear. 
And as soon as you begin to imbibe in evil, the Word of God begins to shout through that, and you have to decide how either to say, yes, Lord, or I need to get a little bit of noise going on so I don't have to listen so much. In other places, it's called callousing your heart. Um, it's called um, searing your conscience. You know, I could take a piece of meat and you put it on a hot plate and it, it sears. It makes it hard on the outside, and that's what we do with our hearts when um, our consciences. And I'm telling you, if you're using the culture to decide what's right and evil, which we all have done at some level, um, then we've been trained in evil. And the world is, is, is not the definition of godliness. Um, you don't have to look far to see it. It doesn't mean that every cause that the non-believing world has is wrong. There are many causes. But how do you know? How do you know which is which? Because they can all seem right. So I go on Facebook. I get into conversations. I get on the phone. I get into text. I start talking to people. They don't get it. They're not ready. They're like dull of hearing. And then I have to be aware enough to know I'm dull of hearing too. I need to be able to hear. But I need to hear the word of God. I need to be able to go to the word of God and make sure what's happening is with the word of God. So we have to not be fooled. We have to train by constant practice to be able to discern good from evil. That means you had to be in the word. That means you need to be in church with other believers. It means you need to be in prayer about what you're doing and how you're doing it. You need to be constant, quick, ready to ask forgiveness. Constant, quick, ready to grant um, mercy. But you just, you know, look at TV and look at all the people doing so much violence, doing so many wrong things, and they think they're right. And it can be people on both sides all sides so we're quick to think we naturally know the difference between right and wrong but we can't be so sure because the heart is deceptively wicked it starts by telling the truth all the time as much as you can at least stop lying try to feel good about the speech that comes out of your mouth. Maybe you've got some really jacked up things you believe about what's right and what's wrong and what's moral and what's immoral. The worst thing we can do is stop free speech because that stuff will go underground and then next thing you know, where did all that come from? Well, you shut it up. You think that's going to stop it? Let people speak and then listen and hear what they're saying. Try to learn something and then be slow to speak. But speak, and when you speak, speak truth. And the problem is going to increasingly be and is increasingly becoming. There are already certain things in this country that you cannot speak. There are things I disagree with that if I were to say what those things were, I am immediately shut out and accused of A, B, C, D. And I'm like, well, I know I'm not ABCD. I don't want people to think I'm ABCD, so I'll just let that one go. Okay. And then there's another thing that'll come up. Well, if I say something about that, people are going to think I'm ABCD. Well, I'm not ABCD, so 
I don't want them to think that, so I'll just let that one go. And on and on it goes, and truth dies in the streets because we attack people and label people, and we don't love our neighbor, and we don't love our enemies. The church should be leading in that, not groveling to those who are demanding that we speak their truth. I agree with Jordan Peterson on this one. I will not speak compelled speech. Don't tell me what I have to say in the way that you want me to say it when I, to, in order to appease you, because I can promise you this, you will not appease those people. You must speak truth. You must speak biblical truth. You must make sure that you have figured out what biblical truth is. And if you can't tell me the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, you might need to read a little bit more. Sorry. I'm making sure I know the difference right now. It is deep. The Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Who in the world wants to mess with a two-edged sword that's going to cut through the middle of your soul and the middle of your body and tear you and rip you apart, and you're going to recognize the fact that you have been wrong about a great many things? Not me. <laughs> I don't want to know. How much of a mirror do you want to have? I don't understand. This is one thing. Women, for the most part, I do not get this about you whatsoever. <laughs> I have seen women's mirrors that magnify and light up. Really? <laughs> you want to see... I don't understand. It's like, if I get a mirror, I don't want it to be magnified. I kind of like looking at myself in the mirror without my glasses on. That way I can, you know, I don't kind of see it all. You know, it's like, but yeah, you got to have this mirror. How much of a mirror do you want to have on your soul? I mean, really, you really want to have that light, that glaring, magnifying, holy light of God shining on your soul and then saying, this is what the problem is. Look into your heart. This is where the problem is. That's tough. To pray with David. Um, examine me. Go into my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me. I mean, I don't, I don't want that. But you have to want that. I don't and I do. It's like surgery to correct some kind of bad pain. I don't want to have surgery to correct pain, but I don't want the pain either. So at some point, you got to figure out if I have to have one to get the other, then okay, we'll do it, you know. But it's just that sort of thing where it's like, you know, when we were in Haiti, I was, we were talking, that Malcolm wanted me to do a teaching, a biblical teaching on um, the Christian and persecution or the suffering and the Christian. And I'm like, I'm supposed to teach the Haitian people about suffering. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not sure. How do you do that without being very hypocritical with that one? And so we were also there with a dental clinic. And over there were these people getting teeth and just extractions. I mean, they weren't there. I mean, it makes sense. They weren't making deposits. But they were, they were taking out their teeth. That's all they did is pull their teeth out. And these people over there, it's like an excellent dentist. I mean, if you've got to have a tooth pulled in Haiti, that's where you want to have it done. But 
that's not where I go to get my teeth pulled. And everybody's looking, and they're sitting in a little chair, these plastic long chairs, dirt floors. You can picture how you're probably kicked back, gripping, as they're trying to pull it. Children don't watch. I don't want you to be afraid of the dentist. But, you know, trying to pull it. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, you, your baby teeth come out easy, but you better take care of your adult teeth because those things don't come out so easy. So, it, you know, they're pulling these things, and I'm like, look at that. Why are they sitting over there and letting people pull their teeth? And I can promise you probably most of them understood and would have said, you've obviously never had a severe toothache. I mean, if we've learned one thing from watching Castaway, you go to a great extent to knock out a tooth that has, I mean, who in here has had severe cavity pain? All right, well, God bless you, the rest of you. You just don't know what suffering is. And I, I will not say anything about childbirth because I don't know, but if it's worse than that, then I'm amazed we have people at all. Um, it, it's rough. And nobody wants to sit there and have somebody pull their tooth out. But to get rid of that pain... Do it. The people that were the, how do you put this? The people that were able to take the suffering of having their teeth removed the best were the older women. The ones that could take it the least were the young boys. Couldn't have that needle. And I was just like, his tooth don't hurt bad enough yet. I was like, it's going to be a year before anybody comes back, possibly. You might want to, you know. Uh. And then this one woman, because I'm, you know, trying to pray for everybody before they, they have their, their, um, their thing done. And it's like, you want me to pray for you? Yes, 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 yes. One woman said no. I'm not sure she understood the question. Fair enough. But I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, she got in there. And they said, eh. And she grabbed me by the pants leg and she said something I said what'd she say she said pray <laughs> uh, yep alright now we'll do it so to desire to have the Holy Spirit to do work in your heart sometimes you need to be dr- thrown to the ground in misery and pain uh, in order to cry out to him and say see if there be any offensive way in me help me please lead me um, it's really better to start doing that now and to recognize the fact that we need God to tell us true facts about ourselves. There is good and evil, and we have to be aware that or we can be monsters. And there's not much worse than a monster who thinks he's kind and he's terrorizing the village. Spiritual lethargy, spiritual laziness, thinking it doesn't matter or at least it doesn't matter right now. I'll have time for God later. I'll have time for the Bible and the church later. Well, you know what? There is no later. I don't know how much time we have left. I'm not saying the Lord's coming back, but, you know, the end for us is when we die, and who knows how much time we have the ability to be able to actually speak truth to a lot of people. What if we need to step up right now? What if Satan is on a massive attack and the last thing we need in the church is a bunch of soldiers all suited up and ready to go and they don't have any armor and they don't have any training and it's like the, it's like the difference between flying a plane in a video game and then getting in the cockpit of a 747 because the pilots died and you got to land that thing and everybody's depending on you. 
And you're like, what's your, how, how do you know how to do it? Well, I did it in a video game. I mean, God helped those people. And that's the way a lot of us are doing church. It's like you video game version. You're, you're kind of in it, but you're not really doing it. So I pity the poor people on the plane. I mean, maybe what God's doing is waking up the church. A lot of people have been praying for revival for a very long time, very, very long time. And so what if this is it? What if this is the call? What if we're so dull of hearing that God kind of needs to yell? What if we're so dull of hearing that he's like, well, what is it going to take to wake you up? And I don't know what it's going to take because most of us, instead of getting woke up, and well, you know, there's the big word now, you've got to be woke. And what does that mean? And mostly it means that you decide to agree with what the world's standard of righteousness is rather than applying the standard of God's grace and mercy and hope in Jesus Christ to it. And there's the problem. You know, how are we going to solve things? But we need to, the world's in a bad state, so it needs to be fixed. And here we are trying to evangelize people. You know what? Let's just do, let's, let's put pause on the Jesus thing for a bit. Because that causes some problems. So let's kind of back off and let's just get in there with our godly wisdom and let's just roll our sleeves up and let's just fix stuff. Let's get in there and get on the right side of these other causes because they aren't Christian causes. But I, I need to join it. I don't want to offend people. So Jesus, if you don't mind, would you mind hanging this one out for a bit? And then once we get our world kind of in, in fixed up some, we'll call you back out. And then maybe some people might even come to church. And I think we do that, and Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, unrighteousness. I never knew you. I will remove your lampstand from your church. There will be no Jesus standing outside the church and knocking, saying, I'll come in and eat with you. It will be darkness, and there will be a remnant. And typically that's what happens. And the church is running around going, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's like, wait, that may not be good news for most of us. I hate to include myself in that because I actually do think I'm a believer. I actually do think I trust in Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have problems in my life and things, but I do know what the Bible says about things. And that's what we have to do. Do you know what the Bible says about things, and then will you agree with it? And if you have trouble with it, you can talk to other believers about it and listen to what they have to say. But you've got to be willing to have your heart changed about things. And we live in a time when nobody wants to be wrong and nobody wants to change. Well, that's not true. It's really amazing watching people repent of things that are like so far down. If there's something they need to repent for at all, it's so far down the list of things they need to be repenting of. It's not even, it's like, stop it. So how loud does he need to yell for us to hear? And then how will you teach your children? What are you teaching your children? Or do you just hand them over to other people for that? We have to be very careful with that. The problem is not that God's not speaking. It's our hearing. So there's a world of lost sinners out there. And how can you show them the way to the water of life? when maybe somebody drove you there and let you out and you're not even drinking it and there's a war that we see building around us and it's due to one thing I think it's pretty clear it's the weakness of the church 
And when we finally rally to fight, what do we jump for first? Saul's armor. It's a spiritual war, and we're waging it with the weapons of the world. And there's no doubt that we'll lose that. It's like trying to dry off by jumping in the pool. I'm wet. What am I going to do? I know you better jump in the pool. That's what you're doing when you're waging a spiritual warfare with the world's weapons to try to solve the world's problems. And you are lazy in hearing. You know, you, you, we don't hear yet. How are we supposed to know? What solution do we have for anything? So we need to wake up. We've been longing for revival. It's time to revive. And just real quick, Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to close with this. I want you to hear it. And just so Brooke doesn't get mad at me, I am going to turn one more place, but it's right after it. But that's what we're going to do. Ephesians 4.11. Galatians, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. Just listen, apply it to ourselves. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. And you guys say, do we know? the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. You leave Jesus out of this, you got nothing but Decepticons. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with, it, with, with which it is equipped. When a part when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part has to be working. Now this I say to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. Belief in God is a moral problem, not a logic problem. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were seen 
sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And keep turning Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Now, you're going to see this easily in the culture. Look at yourself. Look in your heart and confess where you have these things. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That one always gets me. Having the appearance of godliness. I was reading something this week, and he was using this. He said, you know what it means to have the appearance of godliness and deny its power? Because we have a phrase for it we use all the time now. And he says it's called virtue signaling. The appearance of godliness. It seems right. It uses Christian language of repentance, forgiveness, justice, peace. But listen to the world. And you will hear things being redefined. Like violence. Violence is no longer being defined as violence because you can't be violent against property. You can only be violent against people. So what do you do with that? You got to hear it. The world's saying the world's spinning so out of control that we don't get it. You're not, you're not, not only are we dull of hearing God, we're dull of hearing what the world is saying because we think we're still living in the world that we were taught is out there. It ain't out there no more. Not in a lot of places. Who's violent if you can only be violent against people? The police. Looters aren't violent. They're nonviolent. Except for the ones that are hurting people. But you tear down a building, you're burning stuff, that's no longer considered violence. That's messed up right there. Racist. Watch that one get redefined. You know, it used to mean you were racist. Now it means only the dominant culture can be racist. The subdominant culture may be inhabited by bigoted people, but they can't be racist. 
It's like, give me my dictionary, and then we'll talk. You have to define sin as sin for what it is, looking at the Word of God. And you're going to end up having to stand up to some people. You're going to say some things, and they're going to hear you saying one thing, and you're saying another, and they're going to redefine it, and they're going to bust you. It's the way this works. So you need to be speaking the truth, and you need to be speaking the truth in love, and we need to recognize the fact that words are being redefined. But you've got to stand on truth, and you stand in love. And I think some of this is judgment on the church because there's been enemies of the church, and we've treated them very poorly. We've been very mean. We've put up with violence, discrimination, all sorts of things that should not be. But I can't control what goes on everywhere else. We've we got our own little circle here, okay? I've, I've, you know? Be kind one to another. Be perfect as I am perfect. Love one another. Speak truth in love. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Repent of your sin. Turn from your evil ways. We love you. We cry to you. We beg to you. Yes, even as we're being burned at the stake, we might be able to pray out. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the Lord says, there's only one way. You had to be united to me. And he gives us the Lord's Supper. And if you'll take your, the, your cups that have been given out. And we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Where he's talking to the church at Corinth. And he's saying this is the thing that we're saying we're united to. You need Christ. You need to be united to him. And the good news is he gives himself to us. You're not left out here by yourself. The Holy Spirit's given to us. He says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he's come and he's coming back. You're proclaiming his death. What was the purpose of his death? To save sinners from their sin. How does somebody become united to Christ? They must confess their sin, believe in Christ, be united to him. How are they going to do that? Somebody's not out there preaching. You have to be preaching the word. People have to hear the need for repentance. They're going to want you to shut up. They're going to want you to be quiet. They aren't going to want you to call certain things sin because they're now defining that as good and they have reason to be able to fuss at the church because the church in the past has been very mean to people who disagree with the church. We can't be like that. We be a light on the hill. You call out Jesus Christ. You live Jesus Christ. You confess your sin one to another. If you've sinned against a person, you confess it to that person. If you have somebody who's confessing it to you, you forgive them as you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. You love your enemies. You figure out ways to do it. And you do it as a body and you do it as believers and el or else is not the Lord's Supper that we're taking. He says, you are Christ's body. I am giving myself to you. This is the gospel, the visible, tangible gospel that says, without Jesus Christ, you die. If you don't understand that message to a dying world, you're just going to be on their side. No matter how much you try to oppose it, you will end up being manipulated by Satan to be on their side, and he will still kill and destroy. Stay strong. And he says, I give myself to you. So if you take the bread... We'll bless it as he's told us to do in his name. Father God, you gave your son for the believer.
so that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life, and then you, that we might live, that we might profess. Help us to tremble as we hold this in our hands. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. But with faith, all things are possible. With faith, we're hidden in Christ. You invite us to your house to eat at your table. You give yourself to us. You've said, it just takes faith as a mustard seed. So we thank you for this. So he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's blood shed for our sins. The only way to get into heaven is through Christ. All who are die apart from Christ there's no salvation. You take this to recommit yourself to Christ. You are saying, without Christ I die. If you have not sinned, if you have not faith, you're eating and drinking condemnation to yourself. But for the believer, it's the greatest blessing there is. That he will live through us and he will cause us to live in him. So he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Hear us as we come before you singing in prayer. Help us not to be hypocrites in what we say and how we live. We pray that you would strengthen us for your service. As we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together and we'll sing, Jesus, I my cross have taken.